Hi, and welcome to the HeartSeed Health Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Noah Goldstein. Oh, the seeds we sow must break open in order to grow. Shed their skin, allow light to breathe in. Shed their skin, allow forth what's within. We're here to talk to inspiring people about heart-opening, soul-enlivening, body-enhancing practices intended to help us cultivate health and enhance our lives. Today, we're here with Katie Asmus. Katie Asmus describes her work as bringing forth the innate wisdom within everybody and opening people's minds, hearts to greater possibilities. She's the founder of Namaste Healing Arts and Somatic Wilderness Therapy Institute. Katie practices as a somatic, nature-based and adventure psychotherapist, life coach, educator, mentor, quest guide, and workshop facilitator. In addition to leading educational and therapeutic wilderness programs for the past 28 years, Katie's focused her graduate thesis on body-centered interventions for working with trauma, and she's presented internationally in these fields of study for the past 18 years. Currently, Katie trains counselors in advanced EMDR therapy skills, wilderness and adventure therapy, rites of passage, and somatic trauma work. She teaches graduate students at Naropa University and Prescott College and has a private counseling practice and coaching practice. She leads rites of passage programs and trainings and has published articles on the topics of trauma, ceremony and ritual, and the use of conscious choice in wilderness work. Katie's an avid learner, creator, and manifester and lover of life. Thank you so much for joining us today here on the show, Katie. Yes, thank you. Great being here. In addition, I'll just mention Rachel has uh, done some trainings with you and you've been working with her as a mentor um, and she's been really grateful for that. I'm sure Mm. she wishes she could be here to Uh. sort of say thanks and public or whatever ah thank you well she's wonderful it's such an honor so great and so one of the things uh that i'm really excited about uh this conversation is um well first the your earth-based orientation and uh body-based orientation and just you know from everyone who heard that introduction there's there's a really big breadth and depth of uh territory to Mm -hmm. explore and On that note, I'd like to just invite our listeners to take a moment to to feel themselves and their bodies Mm -hmm. and where they're at. Maybe you're washing dishes, maybe you're driving a car or on a walk and just notice notice your breath, notice where you're holding tension. You can maybe let it go, loosen that up. And uh, I have a feeling that this might be a conversation you'll want to be listening to with your heart as well as your mind. Mm, Beautiful. So I'm wondering if you can share a little bit about um, how you came to be doing the work that you're doing and if there's a particular story that stands out or... Yeah. Oh, my goodness. So, um, well, when I was 
19, 20, maybe 20, I was in college and I realized that at that moment I decided to change my major. And I knew that in the big picture I wanted to be working outside to some degree after having been a camp counselor and different things. And um, I realized being in the middle of college that when I went, I thought there were maybe five majors, like education, communication, business, dot, 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 right? The, the big ones. And just being there, I already found out there were so many more majors. And within all the majors, there were so many minors. And at that moment, I decided that I was going to follow what was what was I was most passionate about in every moment and trust that that would lead me to where I needed to be and that I may not even have heard about what, you know, what it was that I most wanted to do at that point. And at that point I became a general studies major okay. and started taking any course that I actually felt really inspired by because I knew that I wanted to go to graduate school at that time. I thought I wanted to go into experiential education to be teaching outdoors so by the time like four years later when I went to graduate school I had then been working in outdoor education for about five years had been you know leading backpacking trips leading rock climbing leading all sorts of Mm -hmm. adventure activities and um, decided that I wanted to deepen the experience with people so I was working outdoors at Outward Bound and similar mm-hmm. type programs and seeing people have profound experiences. And the question in my heart was, how do I help people integrate this on a deeper level for ongoing you know, life change? Mm. And so I didn't need to go get a master's in outdoor ed or experiential ed. I had already been doing that. So I decided to get a master's in counseling and mm-hmm. I actually studied somatic psychology with an emphasis in dance therapy at Naropa University. And when I went to graduate school during my program, everything I did, whenever there was a a special project that we could do, I did it on wilderness and adventure therapy. Mm. And so one project was how do you, you know, create some sort of imaginary group. So I created a group for women in the outdoors. And there was a one that was, um, you know, study something that you, a modality that you would like to bring into your work with people. And so I studied nature-based ceremony and ritual and how mm. I would bring that in. And so I, in, with all of that, I did an internship in wilderness therapy and I did my whole thesis in wilderness therapy. And at that time, so this is all like kind of all the pieces coming together. I was in graduate school studying a lot of somatic trauma work. At that point, Mm -hmm. Peter Levine's first book had just come out, or one of his first books, Waking the Tiger, which was a profound, has been one of the most profound influences in all of my work. Um, So I was learning about trauma. I was also doing an internship at the Boulder County Safe House, now Mm -hmm. called SPAN. Mm -hmm. And so working with people with intensive trauma, I was leading some outdoor programs with, that were called, courses for people with who are survivors of violence Mm -hmm. so again a lot of people who had experienced sexual assault and or domestic violence and also working with more generalized populations and that particular summer as all these things were kind of happening simultaneously I had three experiences on outward different outward bound courses 
where one of the students had a significant trauma response. Mm. One person had a sexual assault flashback in the course and really didn't know where they were and were, were having really the whole trauma happening right there. Another person was being bullied by some of the people in the group throughout the course, which was happening without when the leaders weren't there. And at one point had kind of a panic attack and couldn't breathe. And um, and then other situations where people were going up, you know, on a, basically rock climbing and coming down with um, some extreme anxiety. And so at that point, because this was an area that I was so passionate about, being in the outdoors and, you know, really the foundational philosophy of this kind of work is push people past their self-perceived limitations so that they accomplish something that they never thought they could accomplish and they realize that they could do more than they thought they could do and that translates to the rest of their lives, which often does happen. And simultaneously, what I was noticing were as we, in these situations, pushing people past their self-perceived limitations, sometimes it's too much. Mm -hmm. And especially when there is past traumatic experiences, Mm it's easier to re-trigger trauma responses. And so at that point, I got super passionate about um, helping outdoor educators, outdoor adventure educators, recognize and work with trauma through somatic interventions, which that became my thesis. And as I did that, I started speaking about it at conferences and community organizations. And what I found was that even, you know, the therapists, the people who were trained in mental health at that time, this is back in 2000, Mm -hmm. hadn't heard about, most of them had never heard about somatic, you know, the neurophysiology of trauma. This this was not big then. Now it's very, very well known and popular, I would say, in the mainstream. And so uh, it became my mission to help just spread the word about what to normalize what's happening neurophysiologically in the body and the mind with trauma because what i believe is that when we can understand what's actually happening in the trauma response mm. then we can also understand how to heal that right. how to help people shift the neurophysiology essentially and there are more layers but that was that's been now a huge part of my work in many different ways and arenas okay. since then wow yeah. What a what a journey. What a um so there's there's a lot of questions that come out of that. <laughs> um and I want to start with a personal one that you mentioned you had a an sense of insight from, you know, that young as a young adult that you would just follow your heart, follow your passion, um and and the trust and faith that that would take you where you needed to go and i'm curious if you have a sense of how you arrived at that where that came from that that insight yeah oh that's a great question i think it's my personality okay i think it's a combination of my own curiosity and commitment to self growth and um there was just something about that realization at that moment that mm-hmm. I realized, you know, if I followed the shoulds, I would end up in a place where I was qualified to do something that I thought I should do versus what I was really passionate about. Mm. And I think I'm someone that grew up working since I was very young. Like I had a paper out when I was 10 and babysat full time since I was 12. And so I knew I would be working my whole life. And I also had this sense of, 
I want to do what I would most love to do if I, you know, if I, even if I never got paid to do it, that's what I want to spend my time doing. Yeah. So it was aligned with that, that I had this sense of, well, if I do what I most love, then I'm going to find ways to be able to do that for my work in the world. Wow. That's, I mean, that's really lovely insight, especially from such an early place in life. Mm-hmm. Um, can I, can I share one more story yeah, with that? Yeah. Yeah. So with that, um, knowing and another huge thing that happened was as I was graduating from Naropa with my dance therapy degree having integrated wilderness I was TAing with one of my professors and I said I have a dream to start a wilderness therapy master's program and she said they're actually starting one right now it's already been approved and wow. I said great I didn't really actually want to start it I just wanted to teach in it yeah so I called up um, Deborah Bowman, who was starting the program, and I said, hi, I'm a wilderness therapist. I'd love to get involved and support the program in any way. And at that point, nobody in the world had a master's degree in wilderness therapy. It didn't exist yet. Yeah. And so it was all really people who were combining their experiences, therapeutic experiences in nature and their clinical training. And so I ended up essentially getting hired to be the assistant director right as the program started wow. i was in the right place at the right time in the universe of where all of my passions came together and at that moment i you know thought back to that the moment in college where i made mm. that decision and it felt oh. like this universal affirmation of yes i there i couldn't have predicted this right. it didn't exist right. then and this is the perfect thing for me to be doing here wow. now that is just amazing. Uh-huh. What a story. Yeah. Uh, thank you for sharing that part. That extra yeah. Little piece. Um, so for, so, so you mentioned that part of what you do is, you know, you teach, you, you believe that if people really understand the, what trauma is and how it happens, and then that can make, working with it and working through it and um, letting go of it more achievable and, and possible and easier. And yes. So I'm curious if, if you're open to sharing a little just snippet of your story or perception or ideas around, you know, what trauma is yes. for any of our listeners who are just as curious as, as I am. Yes, absolutely. And, um, and when I say that, piece about, you know, when we understand it, we can helps us move through it more. Mm -hmm. That I will say is both for the practitioner, right? For the therapeutic practitioner who's working with clients as well as for the clients to even have that understanding for both. Yes. Yeah. And, um, so my, really what I look at is, is been very influenced by Peter Levine's work Mm -hmm. who has observed animal behaviors and, really looked at fight, flight, freeze responses. And so when I talk to people about understanding trauma, I talk about the different parts of the brain. So the reptilian brain, the you know midbrain, the mammalian brain, the neocortex, and sort of look at how um, when we have a trauma response, it's really triggered by the survival parts of our brain that 
you know, when there's a threat or perceived threat, mm-hmm. there's a um, physiological response of adrenaline and cortisol that gets dumped into the bloodstream and um, m- blood to the big muscles to fight or flee and many other pieces that really allow us as humans to run faster than we've ever run in our lives. Or, you know, there's uh, incidences of people picking up a car to save someone. So this really like the energy that's running through us um, allows us to, may allow us to survive. And then I talk about how, you know, when we aren't able to move that through, what happens is we'll sometimes often freeze, the freeze response, which then more chemicals get dumped into the bloodstream. And so I love Peter Levine's metaphor of then it's like having one foot on the gas pedal and one foot on the brake. Uh. So there's both the activation happening and the impulse for um, movement and the freeze at the same time. And if we're... You know, in the animal world, when the freeze wears off, there's there's shaking, there's convulsing, there's running movements that happen, and the energy really gets what we call in somatic psychology sequenced out uh-huh. of the body physiologically. Uh-huh. And because of our big brains, our you know cortex, neocortex area, um, as humans, we do all these things to stop that response through you know tightening our muscles, holding our breath thinking things like, I don't want to, you know, I'm going to look stupid. I'm going to get in trouble. We get all these messages, you know, big girls don't cry, whatever it might be over time. And so we develop ways of stopping our natural processes that we also have access to, the sequencing through of the fear response. And then what we're left with is in a state of activation. And from that state of activation, we're also perceiving uh, the world as threats because we mm-hmm. feel as if there we are being threatened. We start to look for and then see all of the things that might possibly be a threat. And then again, that process gets reinforced. Mm-hmm. And so essentially when we look at you know the wisdom of our bodies, the wisdom of animals' bodies, the response, and it's simple yet not easy, right? right? And especially if this activation has been going on and being continuously perpetuated in the physio- physiology over time. But my um, work is really looking at how do we recognize the activation and then how do we support it through mindfulness, through being in the present moment, through giving our body's permission to move to actually sequence that energy out Mm. which depending on how long we've had that you know that that process happening we may need to do it several times we also may need to support the nervous system and you know other parts of our physiology as well but the nervous system to refine another baseline Mm. and start to feel comfortable feeling at ease Mm -hmm. because it's now wired to really look for protection. Mm -hmm. That was, that was very comprehensive and I really appreciate it. I, Rachel and I actually was just talking about how, um, you know, there's this concept of we, we, everyone has their comfort zone 
and we mm-hmm. do everything we possibly can to stay in our comfort zone. Yes. And and generally when, you know, I think when people think about getting out of their comfort zone, it's sort of like in a in a negative direction of like this, you know, this is too hard or this is too scary or and so then, you know, we we do what we can to like go back to safety. Yes. But, you know, what you were just alluding to in that last statement is that and what, what we actually both see a lot in our practice is that, oh, I'm not, I can't feel this happy. This feeling yes. happy is uncomfortable. Feeling yes. safe is uncomfortable. Feeling loved is uncomfortable. Yes. And so as much as they're, they're you know, so that I just, that what you just said kind of reminded me of, of that piece of that we, yeah, there's, there's that, yeah. Yes. And, um, they believe this comes from Peter Levine's work. He talks about disorienting to health. Mm. So when we're shifting in out of the trauma response into more of the regulated experience, it feels terrifying and unfamiliar. And so there really is a disorientation that happens that doesn't feel right or that feels scary yeah. as we start to move toward a different felt sense internally. Yeah. I also love to tie this in this. I love the wording that you just used with that because in um, adventure education uh-huh. and experiential education, we talk about the, the um, what did you just say? The um, comfort zone, yeah. the comfort zone or the safety zone, the learning zone and the terror zone. Right. And we, d- at the beginning of many courses, we'll draw kind of a, a bullseye looking thing on the ground uh-huh. the center being the comfort zone the middle kind of circle being the learning zone and then the terror zone and the idea and this is right goes right along with working with trauma is that as we get into the learning zone or toward the learning zone we start to get a little bit activated mm-hmm. or nervous or anxious and then the more we kind of step into that and practice you know, reaching or, or taking a risk, it becomes more familiar. And so our comfort zone actually expands and becomes bigger. And what was not comfortable before can become comfortable. But then there's the danger of if we push ourselves too far and we go into the terror zone, we end up dissociating, becoming overwhelmed and going, I'm never going there again. And that's really the metaphor of then Uh re-traumatization where we're actually recapitulating or feeling again that state of too much the overwhelm that we don't have the capacity to integrate yes that's i mean it's so when i first encountered um, peter levine's work um and somatic experiencing and one of the things that struck me was how it it mirrored in a lot of ways the the chinese medicine paradigm uh-huh because we have a sense we we've, there's these um certain like extra vessels uh-huh. that if the if a system is overwhelmed um and that could be overwhelmed by an experience or by an illness mm-hmm. the body can't get the illness out all the way the body can't get the experience out all the way for whatever reason it will kind of siphon that and lock it up ah interesting yes and then so then we can use acupuncture points or you know to different techniques to help release it assuming the body and the person have enough um resilience to to, yes. to allow for that the sequencing and, yes, it's a different exactly. a particular way of sequencing yeah mm-hmm. but what um 
what I've never seen in the actual Chinese medical literature is a uh, way of making that process conscious to the aware mind. Uh-huh. So we could say, oh, there's this something stuck and we might not know what it is as, as a practitioner. Um, but, but we can, but we can see the symptoms of it. Yes. And then uh-huh. we can use these points and these, you know, techniques to help release it. Yes. But that maybe it's happening on a subconscious level. Uh-huh. And so maybe the degree of freedom that a person is receiving from it is, is still smaller than what's possible. fully possible. Uh-huh. And one of the things that my mentor has, has been teaching and, and working around is, um, how we can help people have a, a conscious awareness of that process. And so you're using uh, sort of that Eastern energy medicine piece alongside with, yes. you know, whether it's a verbal narrative and an exploration of the you know yes. conscious narrative around the, the somatics of it. And it's yes. really been, been a fascinating um, process. That's amazing. Well, and as you say that, I just, right, I, I feel the parallel with the, you know psychotherapy uh-huh and and the in, the interconnection which is i think when people understand what's happening and what you're going for there can be more of a letting go into that process versus yes. if something starts happening if we have a feeling in our bodies we can become afraid of the feeling and then clamp down more yeah and so to have that information consciously around this is what we're going for this is the process that's happening and it might feel uncomfortable or whatever it is or you could visualize this letting go yeah then there's more of us on board conscious and unconscious that can sort of right just support or let go into the healing process That actually sounds like a really good bridge into um, EMDR because mm-hmm. I know you're you're you do EMDR and you, yes. you actually train. Do you train other people to do it as well? I do. Yes, okay. I've been assisting in the basic trainings for probably about over ten years, and okay. then I teach the advanced trainings okay. and do a lot of consultation for people who are EMDR practitioners. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I'd love to hear what that process looks like I, the reason i that i said that was a bridge was because i know there's a lot of psychoeducation and prep that happens before yes. an actual emdr session uh-huh and and so um but i don't i don't know a ton about the process as a whole and i'm imagining that many of our listeners are some of them are probably saying what what does emdr stand for anyway and uh-huh. then some of them are like oh yeah i've heard of emdr but i don't actually know what it is or how it works or so maybe Great. you can share a little bit about that Okay, great. So um, kind of what is it and how does it work or how does it support? Yeah, and I mean, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. And feel free to, of course, stop me or ask questions. Um, So EMDR stands for Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing. It was created or discovered or both really by Francine Shapiro back, ooh, 30 years ago-ish at this point. And she was having her, she was a therapist and having her own personal, emotional um, kind of event happening in her life and was on a run in the woods and had an emotional response and sat down and had a, you know, a big cry, a big release and noticed, happened to notice that as this was happening, her eyes were kind of going back and forth. And at the end of it, she felt 
resolved. She felt a big release and she felt much better about this event that had happened in her life and got super curious and started doing um, experiments, mostly on her friends at that point who Mm -hmm. were therapists, to see, oh, what happens when you think about something disturbing in your life and consciously, you know, kind of let your eyes go back and forth. And at that point, you know, she would take her fingers or almost like a pendulum and Mm -hmm. go back and forth and have people you know, move their eyes and found that there was actually a lot of success with that. And over many years developed this technique of EMDR. And in the meantime, there's been a ton of research around it. And what they have come to is that it's, um, yes, the eye movement is very powerful, but they've found that you can use bilateral stimulation, which is really stimulating with some, one of the senses, Mm -hmm. every other side of the body, which Um, really brings the two brain hemispheres into um, communication more. It also stimulates the midbrain and kind of uploads the the meanings that we've taken on about things and helps Mm. to really open up what hasn't been processed in the past around traumatic experiences. But so it it uses, you could do it with um, physical kind of, there's a, can hold things in your hand that vibrate back and forth or even do some tapping or put headphones on that has beeps or music that go back and forth. Mm -hmm. So really what this looks like is then with the bilateral stimulation, there's two main functions I I would say that we work with in EMDR and one is the resourcing. Mm -hmm. So bringing in the positive experience and helping people grow their capacity capacity to stay present with the resource, which is what we were talking about before, the really reorienting to health and to tolerance for the good. And so we do the bilateral work as part of the preparation as well as part of the process throughout, Mm -hmm. um, doing the bilateral with the resource, which in fact helps to reinforce that body-mind state and the body's memory of that. And then the other part of EMDR is then reprocessing, processing or reprocessing the traumatic memories. And so it's a very, very particular protocol with very particular questions that brings in awareness of the, obviously honing in on what is it you want to work on, Mm -hmm. you know, the incident or the issue, finding an image that brings that up even more, looking at what beliefs we've taken on about ourselves, um, how that lives in our bodies, what emotions are connected to it. So we're really pulling all of that up into our consciousness and then doing a process with the bilateral stimulation that ultimately helps to helps people to then feel what they couldn't feel, um, mm-hmm. have an experience, you know, really move through the processing, move through the emotion, move through the somatic sensations to some degree and the until Essentially, what happens is once it's processed, there's relief. And mm-hmm. when we feel the relief in our physiologically and otherwise emotionally, often an, a new natural belief arises uh-huh. all by itself like, oh, that wasn't my fault. Or, oh, I'm actually alive and I'm okay now. Uh-huh. And so then we also work with reinforcing that experience and taking it into present day what would the world look or feel like now as you hold that belief right and kind of work with that yeah wow that sounds like really powerful yeah powerful stuff 
It is. It's it's an amazing modality. And, um, you know, and just like any trauma work, it mm-hmm. can also be complex. Right. Because one thing that also can happen in EMDR is, is if, Often we're, if we're working with a more recent experience, such as a car accident or, mm. you know, something that we someone might consider traumatic, and we go into processing that and we find the belief, um, I don't have control, um, what it can do also is kind of start to tap into past experiences in our lives mm-hmm. where we didn't feel like we had control. Mm. And so sometimes a, a EMDR... Um, processing can be, you know, an hour long. And other times what it does is it actually highlights or illuminates some deeper beliefs that that then point us to some other work mm-hmm. that we can also do right. often use EMDR to work on, but to actually clear older experiences where we really originally took on these beliefs that then got reinforced over time. I mean, to me, that almost sounds like a a gift of a more recent trauma if one yes. is capable of framing it in that way yes I, I i believe that any any time we're we're pushed into an experience or a moment or that awakens us to a reality that there's something deeper here yes um if we're in a time and a place in our lives where we have the resources and the courage to explore that then that's where a lot of beautiful growth and yes expansion happens so true because i think often when we have an experience of trauma what happens is we shut off particular parts of ourselves Mm -hmm. or limit our lives i'm not going to go do that anymore and we then we have a false sense of safety and things can get more and more limited in our lives over time especially again if we're if the activation continues and there's something about the crisis, right, or a trauma where are the old ways aren't working anymore, right. and we can't it, actually we can't just get by, you know, surviving in the ways that we've survived, and it can feel terrifying and overwhelming. And for some people, it is too much. But if we have enough support in our yeah. lives and in our even in our in ourselves, right, it can actually open up for us to reclaim that energy that we've locked away right. or those parts of ourselves that we've locked away for fear of being hurt again. Yeah. And actually then come into more of a sense of fullness yeah. that we never would have done otherwise because the managing was working good enough. Right. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, that's always it's always um I don't know. I, I, there's a lot of curiosity around, like, what are those catalysts in our lives that that yes. um, push us or pull us or ignite us into um, exploration? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, I like to actually think of even those traumatic events as heart seeds. You know, that sort mm. of you know, and the idea that like when when we can it's a it's like this frozen compacted energy yes. this, that's stuck inside of us uh-huh and when we when we do the nourishment and tend to the soil and give it all the resources it needs then it can sprout and all of a sudden release that that energy that oh i that love energy. that yes so ah <laughs> beautiful thank you yes yeah. yes i love that so um 
I also think as you describe that, the another term that comes to me is the rite of passage, which is there. That's a huge yeah. part of my work, and um, the term means ritual, right? Right, mm-hmm. ritual of passage, and really comes from uh, uh, the word term comes from a European cultural anthropologist that looked at cultures through time mm-hmm. that create ceremony and ritual around life change Mm -hmm. but the term it's interesting has really been come to use much more generally i think in the english language where i've heard so many people say illness as a rite of passage Mm -hmm. trauma as a rite of passage Mm -hmm. you know and it's not it wasn't necessarily a conscious thing that happened but that it becomes rite of passage it's the catalyst that actually allows for something else to happen beyond you know something more which also makes me think of i don't know if you're familiar with the concept of post-traumatic growth vaguely i'm curious to hear more about what you mean by that yeah and it's it's right along these lines so the idea of post-traumatic growth is that um you know they often use the metaphor as they describe it of a vase being shattered on the ground as the kind of traumatic experience and that so often when we have a traumatic experience and we're impacted and our beliefs about the world are impacted and ourselves and et cetera, our lives are affected and sometimes things are taken away, you know, whether that's physical or part of ourselves, that the impulse is to say, how can I get back to how I was? Mm. How do I glue this vase together so that I can use it again? How do I, you know, get back? And the truth is you can't ever get back to where you were, right? right? You've now had this experience, but that what's possible is that you can make a whole new mosaic out of these Mm -hmm. pieces of shattered pottery. And that what's possible is you could actually come to a place in life with what much more understanding, wisdom, compassion, you know, this is the place where many people create organizations or movements or give back or, you know, because they understand what it's like to be in that place. And not everybody goes, you know, gets to the point of post-traumatic growth. We need enough support, Mm -hmm. again, somewhere in either in ourselves or outside of ourselves or a combination to be able to have enough safety, Mm -hmm. support, healing to get to that place. Right. And it's really then it's when people look back and say, you know, I wouldn't necessarily say I'm glad this happened at all, right. but I wouldn't be who I am today and yeah. I wouldn't know what I know. And it's actually, I'm a, I'm a better person for it. Or, yeah. you know, I have these gifts to give for that. And that's sort of the like rite of passage. It has, it, you know, was a rite of passage in yeah. a way. I, um, I think about, so Rachel did her master's thesis on birth and pregnancy and becoming a mother as yes. a rite of passage, you know, yes. appropriately as she was going through it herself. Yes. Um, and so that's something that's sort of alive for her and for us. And I think, mm-hmm. I mean, looking at where things are culturally and societally nowadays, I think that the lack of, of formal rites of passages and um, yes. both in, in, in rituals and, and the the agency that can often come from that are are big sort of source of some of the 
brokenness and and oh yeah even uh, trauma i would yeah. say yeah and so i'm curious mm-hmm. i mean i know we're we're sort of needing to start to wrap up which um you know is what it is and i'm curious you do a lot of work with rites of passage and and so mm-hmm. i'm just curious what other like wisdom or insights or ideas you might want to share about that as we sort of yeah. step into the, the closing of of this moment yeah um wow this is such a huge topic right. i could talk yeah, forever about this yeah. um so you know i think that as you mentioned birth right i personally am not a, a mother and so many of the people in my life life are parents mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and um i and clients right and so what i see and what i know about that is that it fundamentally changes your life forever and ever in so many ways, right? In hard ways, in beautiful ways, in ways that you can never, you would never imagine even seeing everybody else going through this. This is what I hear and and what I have come to understand from this position, Right. right? And that how many people, and I work a lot with women, and so, you know, a lot of women that have given birth that say, oh my gosh, like I had no idea that this, all the things that this entails and all the ways, all the impact to my body and all the impact to my, you know, sleep and my identity. And there's something about not having the conscious community support that is huge. And obviously, you know, the U.S. is a very big place and there are many different cultural practices here. So it's hard to, you know, make generalizations, right? But I would say, generally speaking, um, you know, we don't have a lot of supported communities that mm-hmm. normalize, mm-hmm. that give warning, you know, yeah. that are around to support afterwards, that acknowledge the challenge. There's the, what's highlighted is the happiness, right? It's like, yeah. aren't you so happy? This is, and then there's the hard and people are left feeling alone going like, totally. what is, am I the only one that feels this way? And so I think, um, formalized rite of passages, doing ceremonies, doing rituals, doing honorings is really uh, an attempt to acknowledge, you know, and acknowledge that anytime really a passage happens or a change happens, there is a loss. You know, even if it's a, if, I mean, sometimes that is the passage, that the loss is the passage. Sometimes it's a stepping into something new, such as parenthood. But with that, there is a big loss. Mm -hmm. And so the rite, the ritual, the ceremony is acknowledging all of it. It's acknowledging the loss and it's acknowledging what's next, what you're stepping into and what's possible and ideally having some sort of community acknowledgement, whether that's one person or, you know, a group of people. So that again, just like what we were talking about with trauma to kind of give our conscious and unconscious minds some permission to really move through and Mm -hmm. to even be in the discomfort and be in the unknown and say like, yeah, this is actually all a part of what happens with change. And I think we've really you know, in our fast paced, like iPhone, blah, 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 culture, get it now, get it yesterday. Um, we, it's, we don't really understand and have tolerance and acceptance for how long actual change and growth (laughs) can take often takes, especially when there are big life transitions. And so there's something up for me that 
I am really passionate about, which is utilizing those conscious ceremony to really acknowledge what transition means and the complexity of that to support people in just even holding it, you know, holding it with some patience and compassion and perspective as they move through whatever that might be in their lives. Because there's so much potential there. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I mean, I... um um the blessing ways are a thing that in in Rachel's community are happening quite a bit around motherhood yes. where it is a more conscious and yes. um soulful and heartful and uh full i guess yes rite of passage ritual around that transition into parenting and parenthood um and so i sort of modeled that with some of my male friends as I was stepping into fatherhood. Oh, beautiful. Yes. Um, and even with that, I have a distinct memory of like collapsing on the kitchen floor in tears, mm-hmm. maybe six months after Hazel was born. Yes. Just, just realizing that like I had never mourned the loss of my life before parenthood, the yes. freedom, the, yes. just all of that. And just feeling so isolated and, you know, and it was, it was a good catharsis, you know, I was yes. grateful, you know, wasn't, but, um, yeah, like that mourning piece of what's lost, I think also, yes. you know, just how that all comes in to the play. And, and I think my impression and perspective is that actually that's something that, that women are really claiming and stepping into, at least in maybe the Boulder community, uh-huh. maybe, you know, um, and that I, I'm trying to kind of help men step into that space too. Great. Um, more and more. So, yeah. And as you share that, what I, one thing that strikes me is just the permission, mm-hmm. right. And when there's something acknowledged, even if in the ceremony, right, you don't get it or right. you don't totally feel it all because there's no way you can. Mm-hmm. There's something about having a culture of, um, the acknowledgement that then when it shows up, it's not completely out of nowhere. Right. You know, it's like, Oh, this is, this is part of it too. Right. Which can be at least again, give us space to yeah. just accept or let that move through too. Mm, Thank you for sharing that piece. I feel touched about your, just that experience. So yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I think it's important to, yeah. So I want to thank you so much for your time, for your, for your voice, for your, Mm. your heart, you know, everything that you've been sharing here. Um, are there any last little snippets of anything that you want to share or, um, I think that, I think that feels complete in this moment. I mean, as you can tell, I can, talk for for a long time but that just yeah I love how it kind of came full circle Mm. and it's been lovely to speak with you here so thank you great and um just I'll put it all in the show notes but how can people get in touch with you if they're oh yes great um well currently my website is namastehealers.com and I am in the process right now of officially changing over my business to the Somatic Wilderness Therapy Institute. And so that website is wildernesstherapyinstitute.com. And both of those at this point are live and will have information on how to contact me further or trainings or different things that I'm offering in the community. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Katie, for this interview and for all the work that you're doing, all the teaching that you're doing, all the mentorship that you're doing. And, um, 
I look forward to talking more in the future. Yes, likewise. Thank you so much. Okay. Um, Thank you all so much for listening. If you enjoyed this and know someone else who would, please share it. And uh, if you feel like going ahead and rating it on iTunes, that helps other people find the podcast too. If you have any questions and you want to connect with me, I'm at noah at heartseedhealth.com. Thank you so much, and we'll see you again next time. The seeds we sow must break open in order to grow. Shed their skin, allow light to breathe in. Shed their skin, allow forth what.